Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hey guys, we are doing one of my very favorite types of episodes, and apparently yours too. And I know this because I was looking the other day about the different episodes that are like trending or popular, and these seem to be the ones that you guys pay attention to a lot. So um, I love your letters. I love hearing from you. I love knowing right where you're at and what you're going through. And I feel honored that you would um, give me the opportunity to respond to your questions. So I take the time to like read each one, to think about them, to kind of group them together based on, I don't know, sometimes theme, sometimes vibe, sometimes big magic, just making it all come together in the right way. So if you are listening to a listener letter episode for the first time and you didn't know that you could write to me, you can email me at hello at elisesnipes.com and I will get an opportunity to read your letter and answer here. So due to the amount of letters that come in, I don't always answer them all in order. Um, So just know that if your letter is not read here today, it's not because it won't be read ever. It just won't be read this time. Okay. Also, I'm going to start this episode with a bit of a disclaimer. When I respond to these letters, it is in, it's in my own way, kind of like a Dear Abby meets Dear Sugar with a little bit of fire, okay? It is not totally indicative of the way I work with my people in therapy, okay? And I'm saying that because in this format, I am much more direct and there's a lot more freedom to respond with a little fire, a little more oomph, Okay. And I think I'm putting this disclaimer out there because sometimes I get letters that touch on some of my own shit and it sends me back into my own work. Okay, or rather, I guess it really, it invites me to continue on this journey. And so sometimes I feel like when I respond to some of these letters, I'm coming out pretty strong and I'm not going to apologize for it, but I'm totally going to qualify it. (laughs) So with that being said, first love and also, and then truth. These are essential for the work of healing, okay? I think I've explained it like this before, the idea of a Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a blend of two different types of grapes, a Cabernet Franc and a Sauvignon Blanc, so a white wine and a red wine grape. And the way that these two come together make a super popular varietal in California. I'm all over the world. However, speaking of California California varietal specifically, clearly clearly I, I enjoy wine. So with that, They talk about the Cabernet Sauvignon being like a velvet glove with an iron fist. So there's the velvet glove that softens the blow, and that's the Sauvignon Blanc. And the Cabernet Franc is that like iron, that big red taste, and that's the iron fist. Now, the reason that the Cabernet Sauvignon is so successful is because it packs both. A hit with some like, you guys, if you don't drink wine, I'm sure you're like, what in the hell is actually happening right now? But go with me. When we think about delivering a message to somebody or delivering or responding to these letters in some way, first love, also truth, velvet glove, iron fist. We need both. If I just responded with like, yay, or mm-hmm, then nothing would shift. But if I just came out and was like, boom, and just blasted it, then people would recoil and not know what to do with that. So 
I believe in the work of here, in the work in therapy and coaching and all of that, that we need both. Like if the way that we walk, we, we need one leg to go forward in love, one to go forward in truth. Love, truth, love, truth. That's how we get forward motion, okay? Otherwise, we're just limping around going in a circle. Okay, enough of my metaphors. Without further ado, let's get to it. Dear Abby, I mean Elise, <laughs> I'm so confused about a situation with a dear friend and could use some insight. I have a friend who I have known for years. We have experienced a lot of life together. She was my college roommate, maid of honor. She's my child's godparent was in the room with me and my husband as those children came into this world and has been there for so many of my life's ups and downs. Other than my husband, she knows me better than anyone, and I thought that was a two-way street. Our lives look very different, but I have always treasured the fact that we have maintained a closeness even when we are not in the same life stages. We have been able to enter into each other's lives regardless of the differences or ways we could have grown apart, and I love that. What confuses me is while having a conversation with her last week, she started sharing some things with me she's been struggling with that I had no clue about. While I am so thankful she decided to share those things with me, I am also so confused as to why it's taken her so long to tell me. I remember hearing your last listener letters episode with the two letters that were so similar and they briefly made me think about my friend and some of the similarities. During my conversation with her, I kept thinking, I have known her for over 12 years. How am I just learning some of these things that seem pretty major to me? I am thankful she shared with me, but I'm also finding it hard not to be hurt that it took her this long. I have trusted her with so many big things, and it's hard to think that she doesn't do the same. I'm learning she is far more sensitive than she lets on, so I don't want to make her feel bad for just now sharing with me but I also feel hurt and don't know how or if I should tell her that. By nature, I am a trust first until someone proves they don't deserve it, and I guess even though she has shown me trust, I'm learning it does not come easy to her. I suppose in her defense, she has been through things I have not that might make her not as trusting. She has never been anything but love and support for me, so I always want to be the same for her, but I also don't know how to tell her that her holding back hurt me. I feel like I somehow passed a 12-year-long test, and I don't want to fail it now, but the feeling of not being trusted for that long also kind of stings. Could really use some help on how to move forward on this one. Thank you. Dazed and confused. Okay, let's clarify a couple things. This is not about you, okay? Now, I know this might not have been the response you were expecting, so let me explain. You weren't not trusted for 12 years. A person with this type of trust injury would have pulled away from you a long time ago if she didn't trust you. I want you to hear me. She trusted you by still staying close to you and letting you into the parts she was ready to share. Not because of you, but because of her, of her own narrative and story about opening up. This is about her trust injury. And when we make it about our trustworthiness, then we distort the relationship. Okay, it's not about you. See, if you took yourself completely out of this process, you would see your friend whom you love overcoming some really powerful and old wounds learning to trust. You would be happy for her and proud of her and you would champion her. But when it feels like her new openness 
somehow casts a shadow on you, then there is a feeling of hurt or kind of like an injured pride. I want, and I want you to hear this. It is okay for you to have your feelings and experiences. I'm suggesting that her keeping her things to herself is about her and her now sharing is about her, not you. At least not you negatively, okay? You have been a consistent person for 12 years. And this is probably exactly what she needed in order to make that disclosure. You are good. Except that the depths of her wounds took her this long to climb out towards the light. Keep making room for her to come forward. You can communicate that you notice the difference, right? With phrases or something like, hey, I'm so thankful you have opened up to let me see all the parts of you. I'm here for you. You can notice the difference without making her feel bad for it taking this long. So ultimately, dazed and confused, you are getting what you have always wanted. Don't shut it down now just because it took her longer to get there than it did you. Open yourself up to this newfound trust. Be there for her with the new things she is letting you into. It is okay for you to have two different trust styles. And like you said yourself, she's been through some things that you have not. It's a beautiful thing when you are able to start from a place of you trust first until someone is like proves themselves wrong. Clearly, that's not the way that your other friend has been able to live her life. There's room for both of you in this friendship to continue to move forward. Yes, you sting, and yet your friend just did it, right? She's figuring it out. Let's encourage her, allow that newfound trust to build and kind of strengthen its legs. Right now, this is kind of like on Bambi legs. So we want this um, way of your friend coming forward to gain a little more stability and confidence. And then by all means, if you still feel like that, that there's something that you need to share with her, I would do it in a question form. Um, if these things have been present for how long? Um, what shifted that allowed her to talk, start talking about it now? So you can ask me those questions without accusing her of doing something wrong. And I'm only saying that because I, I watch people in my office weekly and there have been, you guys as a therapist, there have been years where it has taken somebody to finally decide they're going to trust me with a, a massive thing that they've gone through, a secret they've been hiding. I've worked with a couple people who said, I, I told myself in entering therapy, I would never tell you this. I plan to take this to the grave. And it was years into our work. And that's not because I was doing something wrong, which is also possible, but because they had committed that they would not share it. But being a steady, consistent person, showing myself to be able to hold the gravity of their disclosure, then they decided to take that step forward. It's not about me. It's about them deciding and gaining the power to reclaim how they want to share their story. And that is what your friend just did. And so I hope that maybe even in you hearing that, I've had parallel experiences in my own professional work that you can see that your friend not telling you isn't about you, it's about her. And that's okay. You know what to do. You know how to be a good friend for her. I'd say keep on keeping on. Next letter. Hi, Elise. I'm struggling with setting boundaries with my father. When it comes down to it, I don't want a relationship with him, and I truly feel peace about that decision. 
What complicates that boundary is that I'm very close with my father's only two family members, his sister and his mother. These two members of my family have been very supportive, loving, and made every effort in my life from the beginning. It's hard for them to hear I don't want a relationship with my father, and they understandably want to defend his actions over the last 30 years. Everything truly came to light when I started to plan my very non-traditional wedding and think about raising my future children. I realized I don't have any desire to have him be a part of my future or my children's lives. I don't feel bitter or anger towards him. But I also can't imagine anything he could do that could repair my trauma and neglect from childhood. I'm currently on medication for anxiety and through therapy found that literally all of my triggers are a direct result from this childhood trauma. So the short version of my question is this. Do I stand by my boundaries knowing that it may hurt my relationship with my loved ones who don't understand my trauma? Is it unforgiving to believe that some people won't change? I can't help but wonder if I'm not truly healed from this trauma because I don't have a desire to have my father in my life. Is giving repeatedly undeserving people another chance part of the healing process? Damn, girl. Okay. I'm going to respond to your short version questions. One, your boundaries are never bad. Two, whether people change or not has nothing to do with your forgiveness. Otherwise, we could all just like wave around our forgiveness wands and magically make a lot of people a lot less awful, right? Okay, so the truth is some people won't change, period. You can decide what you want to do with the forgiveness piece. The fact that you've found freedom sounds like a better F word than forgiveness. Just putting that out there, okay? Also, true healing does not always mean reconciliation. The goal in healing is not always just to get the band back together, okay? Sometimes through healing, there is that reconciliation piece. But in order for that to happen, typically both parties would need to do some sort of their own work here. Okay, otherwise, you're just entering back into the same thing. Other times in the healing journey, there comes a greater awareness of self. Appropriate boundary setting because you like now see your value and you see the importance and need of respecting, caring, and honoring yourself, even if others don't, especially when others don't. As your self-awareness increases, there might be less room for unhealthy things and people. This is not bad. This is growth. Okay? We're going to go back to some wine metaphors here. Okay? I want you to think of it like wine tasting and when you first start drinking wine and how your palate advances. So once you taste something really good, it's hard to go back to the lesser, cheaper stuff. But before you had the good stuff, you didn't know. And the cheap stuff was fine. Okay? But now you know. And now you like the good stuff. Good. When you establish boundaries and you feel good, you won't want to return to the old stuff. When you experience relationships where you feel safe, understood, cared for, respected, it's the same thing. You won't want to go back to the old relationships where it didn't feel good. Allow your emotional palate to continue to be refined, okay? Trust it. Repeatedly giving undeserving people another chance sounds like madness, not healing. It sounds like codependency, not wholeness or progress. 
I want to challenge you to be aware of how you are crafting the rules you think you should follow. So what typically happens is we make a rule about a thing or a person or a way of being, and then we bend ourselves to follow that rule. And we violate our own boundaries or what we know is right to keep following this rule, regardless if the rule is true or good or beneficial or not. Okay, so if your rule was I need to forgive in order to heal, or I need to stay in contact with my, with my dad, or I can't rock the boat, what happens is you're going to hold that rule as hard and fast as black and white, and then you're going to shift your boundaries to accommodate that rule. You're going to shift your, the way you relate to your aunt and your grandma. You're going to shift the way you relate to yourself, even if you have to violate your own personal sense of well-being in order to accommodate this primary rule. So what I want you to consider is what rules serve you and then support that narrative, not the false stories you inherited. In regards to your grandma and aunt, okay, it might be hard for them to hear this. Okay, let it just be that. Hard for them, not a signal that you need to change something. Do you hear the difference? It might be hard for them to hear that you don't want to have contact with your dad. Okay, nothing's wrong with that. That does not mean that you have to shift because what, if you do, what the rule is is that you are somehow responsible for making other people feel bad, which means you're somehow responsible for your dad's shortcomings. The rule is it is okay for people to feel the way they feel. And it's okay for you to maintain boundaries in the middle of that. So it might be hard for them to hear. That's okay. Let it just be hard for them to hear, not a signal that you have to change in order to accommodate their feelings of discomfort. I can already hear that what you're doing is you're sifting through the like, kind of like the BS and discerning what is cheap wine and what's the good stuff. Keep doing that. Just because other people don't understand doesn't mean you're wrong. Okay. P.S. Big P.S. on this one. You don't have to make forever decisions here. Give yourself both the freedom and permission to create and maintain the boundaries you need now. If you decide later to do something different, then great. See how that goes and then readjust. See, sometimes we get stuck on the idea of forever and so we don't set the boundary we need now. You got this. Next one. Good afternoon, Elise. I am an avid listener to your podcast. I have binged on it since I found it last month and I'm all caught up. My question for your listener letter episode is, can you give me advice on how to help teach a narcissist to learn to be empathetic? I am going through some intense therapy right now, and I'm learning that I am not the problem in all cases, and that most of my actions are purely reactions based on feeling like my feelings don't matter. My husband is a narcissist and says he wants to learn how to be empathetic, but we are struggling to get him there. Is there something that I could be doing to make the process a little easier? I am a person who runs on emotion and empathy, and this is a requirement. I need to be validated, and that is where I am getting caught up. Thanks. Okay. Okay, so first things first. I am really glad that you are in intense therapy. Anytime we are dealing with any type of personality disorder, my first suggestion would be that. Professional help. Now, I want you to listen back to the statement. My husband is a narcissist, and he says he wants to learn how to be empathetic, but we are struggling to get him there. 
I want to know we who. Is this you and him? Is this you and your therapist? Is he in therapy? See, I'm, I'm really primarily wary of the idea that you guys are going to get him to cross some finish line here. Emphasis on the you rather than the him. Okay, here comes the fire part. Let me tell you a little something about narcissism. Narcissists are people who maintain their self-esteem by drawing on the energy of other people. Okay? So they thrive on all these other accolades and they have extreme difficulty in their social interactions because they do not empathize with others. Now, I did a little research on this because narcissism has a very special and disgusting place in my heart. There was a recent study that was done on narcissism as it pertains to empathy. The first study that they did, it demonstrated that narcissists really do tend to exhibit low levels of empathy. What these results suggest is that narcissists are capable of empathy, but most of the time do not put in the effort to take another person's perspective. Do you hear that? They're capable, but don't put in the effort. This speaks specifically to your point. Please don't work harder than him. This is his work. If you enmesh yourself in this process, you are placing yourself as the narcissistic extension and you're gonna continue to fuse with him rather than allowing him to gain enough ego strength and independence and a sense of self that does not depend on your reflection. Okay, so this article, it went on to say that if, if this is clearly important for the narcissist to take on another person's perspective, they can do it, although most of the time they do not. In order to help narcissists engage in more pro-social behavior, it is important to give them reasons to want to take other people's point of view rather than just focusing on themselves. All right, if you're looking for some advice, my advice is this, let him do his own work. Maintain really good boundaries. Start focusing on yourself so you can more fully and healthily move forward together. The sooner you're able to untangle yourself from the idea of we, the more quickly he will be able to determine who he is and what he needs to do in order to healthily join you. Be wary of, <laughs> it sucks, I know this is direct, but of the subliminal, subconscious manipulation of the narcissist to be able to get other people to work harder than they do around them. Not always purposefully, but often realistically. What happens is the narcissist is still able to get everybody around them to focus on them. And I'm listening to that even in your therapeutic dynamic. We're all now focused on his lack of empathy, and we're all now focused on helping him do this. We're all still obsessing over the narcissist. I know this is a direct response, and I hear this even as I'm saying it, but ultimately everyone is still making everything about him, even in this treatment. And that system will continue to fail because he doesn't have to work as hard and can depend on you and the therapist and everyone else to hustle around him. Also, 
I, this is a more of a direct response to, to the advice part. Empathy does not have to be feeling-based. It can be logic-based or thinking-based. So he can gain an understanding of your experience without directly experiencing it himself. So he can get here logically using inference and using social cues. And this is bold. If he wants to. If he wants to. This is basic social skills training. So for instance, if he sees that you are having an emotion, let's say that you're crying in the kitchen and he's walking in and then he realizes light bulb, you're having an emotion and is motivated to practice empathy, keyword if he's motivated to practice empathy, he could stop, see that you are crying and use a rule out method of questioning to determine if he should ask you what's wrong, ask you what you need, see how he can help, he can proceed from there. He, his actual feeling, what you are feeling, is not necessary for there to be this exchange or for you to feel validated, seen, understood, cared for, and, and together. He just needs to learn how and then actually want to go through with this exercise. So most of the time, true narcissists do not want to be blamed for other people's pain. And since everything is about them, they might not want to ask because they can't tolerate being potentially at fault. So they will keep on walking through the kitchen and deflect any participation, okay? I realize also what I'm having right now is called countertransference. <laughs> so where your letter touches on a problem in my own life and my own emotions come forward and make me passionate and involved in this letter. So countertransference can be something that clouds therapist engagement and then it also extends an invitation back to their own work. I'm talking in third person now. <laughs> It's why I'm literally going to start text. I'm going to text my therapist right now because I need to keep on working on this. So after disqualifying my passion and my response here, I, I want you to take care of you and to stop taking responsibility for his everything. Okay. The main work, anytime we're working with a narcissist is untangling ourselves from being the narcissistic extension, allowing them to learn how to, to um, gain an accurate reflection and sense of self by learning how to generate their own inner mirror rather than using everyone around them to generate a false sense of self back to them. Think about the emperor with no clothes. It's the perfect childhood fable when we're thinking about narcissism. If the people didn't keep telling him that he looked so great, he'd actually have to face the truth that he was naked. So the sooner that we are able to, to honestly share something with the emperor, the more quickly they're going to have to learn how to engage with you in a way that allows you to feel validated and connected. Again, he doesn't have to feel. He can learn how to logically connect to you in the way that anybody and all the rest of us learn social cues and basic social engagement. Don't give up. Go back to your therapist. Figure out ways to be able to proceed together in a way that involves boundaries and not making him the continued focus of treatment. Boom. The end. Okay. <laughs> Dear Elise, I have followed you for a while now and look forward to your posts. I started when I applied to graduate school to become a counselor. Like you, I feel impassioned about normalizing counseling and emotions. Like you, I want to create an online presence that can help open up that discussion. Unfortunately, I was waited for grad, grad school. I was waitlisted for graduate school. I acknowledge this is a big accomplishment and that I was clearly a candidate they found qualified. Of course, at the same time, it has been a very big disappointment too. I just feel so ready to move forward with my dreams and darn it, I don't have time for speed bumps. In this time of reflection, I noticed that the last couple of years have been the start of a transformation for me. I had my third and last child 
survived postpartum depression with the help of a wonderful counselor. I moved from family creation to a place of flourishing exploration. I recognize that I am the best version of myself. I am more me than ever, and it feels so freeing and peaceful. Paradoxically, I also feel like a mess. My plan A fell through, and I didn't create a plan B. Motherhood has chewed me up and spit me out. I don't recognize myself some days. My body is so different. I feel lost even from a place of being very grounded. I made the very hard choice of being a stay-at-home mom. I feel like the outsider on this. All of my friends continued to work after having kids. I know it wasn't easy for them and still isn't easy, but it has helped them to maintain their careers. I feel very unsure how to navigate getting back into the world of work. There are no role models for this. There are so many obstacles. I feel like the high school dropout of society. Like how quaint it was of me to resurrect a very 1950s take on motherhood. I think we as a society still have a ways to go on honoring all the ways to create and manage families. I digress. I feel as if I am in a very sophisticated version of a midlife crisis. Even the word midlife crisis sounds wrong, but the sentiment is appropriate. I am in this place of growth and transition. It is good, but also very uncomfortable and confusing at times. I lack a good relationship with my parents to find that guidance. I want but currently do not have a mentor. I am trying to sort out what is next. I plan on reapplying to grad school next year, assuming I don't get a phone call last minute. What do I do with my time while I am waiting? Waiting seems like a waste to me. I know I could reframe it as an opportunity, but without clarity on how, it falls flat. How do I sort out a good plan B if I do not get into grad school again? Where do I find a mentor? Where do I find role models? Other mothers who are making this very stressful transition back to work? How do I match my insides with my outside? Thank you for reading. P.S. I know I'm going to be okay and it will all work itself out. I suppose knowing and believing are two different things. Oof. Okay. That is a lot. (laughs) Okay. So why don't, let's do this. Why don't we think about this as more of an existential crisis than a midlife crisis? So I hear your search for meaning, purpose, clarity, and even control. Also a desire to do things well and somehow right. Like there's this cosmic order to things. This has more to do with your existential existence and essence, how you are extracting identity and purpose and forward motion, how you understand yourself in relationship to others. Okay, now what if I told you that this isn't even crisis, but existential process, a normal evolution of your developmental self, an appropriate and necessary step like a sort of cosmic cutting of your teeth, if you will. Okay? What if I told you you're doing exactly what you should be doing and you're at exactly the right spot in your life and that this sense of angst is producing within you everything you need for the next thing? See, instead of trying to sort out what is next, let's make sense and peace with what is right now. That will allow you to be open to what is next. So I want you to think, what is meaningful for you now? What are you doing now that brings you life, joy, purpose, right now, just as you are in your right now life? Okay, from your letter, I hear that you are keeping three small humans alive. And since your primary workplace is the home, 
I'm assuming you're managing that household. You're probably cooking, driving, doing laundry, cleaning up. You're married. So there's that relationship. Your friends who you mentioned, sounds like you have already an extremely meaningful full-time job with relationships with people who have all different types of experiences and share all different types of spaces, which allows for diversity and variety. So what would it be like for you to shift your vision from what might be to what is? Okay, let's also touch on some of your other points. As a society, we do need to do better about making room for moms and the radically diverse ways we approach motherhood, work, family, parenting, marriage, womanhood, etc. But you know what's great about that? We are the society we are talking about. It's us. You see, if we keep waiting for someone else, we're never going to make progress beyond what is. So what do you want to say about motherhood and work and waiting? We are the society that we're waiting to see change. So why don't we start with this? In your waiting, which really isn't waiting, it's living. You're living your right now life. Okay, so in this right now space, what do you want to say? What do you want to see be different or better or otherwise? Put words to it. Think about how you can be a part of this change. So Mother Teresa said something to the effect of, we ourselves feel that what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean, but the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. Try thinking of your specific place in life as this one drop. It is essential and a part of something bigger, and we would be less if you didn't contribute. Existentially, you need to consider how big or small that one drop feels. I hope it feels massive. I hope you feel necessary and huge and a vital part of the ocean, or in this case, society. I hope you realize that you are already shifting things, even by writing in here and using your voice to give words to your specific experience. Keep doing that. You will make sense of all your things as you keep sorting it out. As for role models and mentors and moms who have transitioned back to work after having babies, we out here, okay? <laughs> there are, how many? I, I, wish, I wish this was live right now on Instagram so we could all just raise our hands. How many moms are out there who have transitioned back to having babies regardless of how long the break was? Girl, we out here. Put it out there into the universe, into social media, into your friends. You already mentioned some of your friends who made this, cha this change. I bet they'd have something to say about you making this transition too. But here's my caution. Everything that you were looking for in your letter was something outside of yourself. Okay, and sometimes we are looking for voices or experiences outside of ourselves to make sense of what is going on within ourselves. And that's fine and good. But it might keep you from hearing your own voice and bringing that good thing forward from within you. So you might not need a role model or a mentor or a host of moms who have done this. You might just need you and your strength and your heart and your head and your one drop. Last thing, don't put yourself on life's wait list. You were already accepted and you got a full ride, babe. What are you going to do with it? Okay. I'm going to say it again. Thank you 
for trusting me with your letters, with your words, with your experiences, with your pain, with your hope, with your questions, with your hurt and your torment and all of your beautiful, messy humanness. I am with you in it. I feel it. Please keep submitting. You can email me at hello at elisesnipes.com. Also, you guys, I am putting together and have a bomb team of therapists who would love to serve you if you are wanting to do any of your own one-on-one work. You can check them out at elisesnipes.com to read about them and schedule an appointment. You guys, we all work remotely, so you can do your work from wherever you are. It's easy, and it's a really great way to work with someone outside of your norm. I'd encourage you to check it out. Keep your ears open, your eyes out for other ways we can stay connected. Um, I have some online workshops. You can also check that out on Instagram or on my website. Um, my weekend retreats that I'm doing, they're five people only. They're intensive personal retreats where we walk through all your work in a weekend. I know that sounds overwhelming, but truly, I'm giving you a way to do a whole bunch of work in a really short amount of time so you can get a massive jump forward in your own work in therapy. It's a great way to gain um, vocabulary, to put words to how you're, how you're feeling, to make sense of your history, to learn how to really be present with yourself and how to really actively, practically move forward. Anytime we're doing work in therapy, I told you that it's one step forward love, one step forward truth. It's really important that we have practical steps that we can take. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of like hoopla in our heads, right? It's just a bunch of stuff. The point of getting this work outside of ourselves is being able to like actually do something with it, right? So let's stay connected. As always, thank you. Thank you for listening and engaging and considering and responding and sharing the space with me. Let's keep on doing this thing. Happy week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.